Hello and welcome to the second flat running podcast presented by Run In. This is mile number seven and we are excited to be back with you. I am Travis alongside as always my good friend Benjamin. Benji, good to see you. How you feeling? Uh, a little bit better than you've been feeling lately. It has been rough here lately. We will get into that in a minute. Um, our main topic that we're going to dive into a little bit later is when and how do you determine your return to running from maybe an injury or an illness? In my case, a nasty sort of poison allergic reaction. But first, I've been kind of off the grid here for the past few weeks, and I have no idea what's been happening in running. I know I haven't been running. So Benjamin is going to give us a quick update here to start on the highlights of July in the world of running. Hit it, big boy. All right. So I've got what I've entitled my seven savory stats. Coming in at number seven, not really exciting unless you're a fan of the NCAA track and cross country world. We are. All the coaching changes. Uh, It was announced earlier in the month that coach Andy Powell at the University of Oregon would be leaving for Washington. Filling his shoes is Ben Thomas from Virginia Tech. The Virginia Tech men won the DMR title indoors and qualified three guys individually in the mile. So coming from a big mid-D powerhouse, which Oregon has typically been strong in and has scored some big-time recruits. Um, Worth noting also, UVA's coach, Pete Watson, is going down to Texas. Joining uh, Edric Florial from Kentucky. Yes, who is Sidney McLaughlin's coach, right? who we've spoken about countless times on this podcast. And will continue to. And then also the Syracuse coach, Chris Fox, has left the NCAA system to start what is called the Reebok Boston Track Club, which is horribly named (laughs) because it's going to be based out of Charlottesville, Virginia. (laughs) So it makes zero sense. Going with him, though, is Justin Knight who is number two all-time in the NCAA in the 1500. Uh, He's ran 13-18 in the 5K, was a ninth-place finisher at Worlds in the 5,000. So looking to start big things. So those are some big names, big movers in NCAA track and field, some of the powerhouse programs in distance running with a little shakeup. Be interesting to see what Justin Knight does in particular going forward uh, under Coach Fox's training after one of the great college careers that we've seen recently. So exciting news there. Hit me with your next one, bud. All right. So the high altitude 100 mile hard rock race was this weekend. I feel like I ran it, but I was actually just in a recliner. (laughs) So the leader of the race, a Frenchman whose name I cannot pronounce. Oui, oui. Yes, <laughs> we'll call him Mr. Wee Wee. <laughs> uh, so at mile 40, he received a cup of water and ice at a road crossing. Um, this is against hard rock rules because you're not allowed to receive aid outside of 400 meters from an aid station. He ended up getting DQ'd at mile 90. Oh. They let him run 50 miles before they disqualified him. Oh my. Heartbreaking. Was he in the lead at 90? He was by several hours. Oh, man, that is terrible. Okay. So my heart is with him, but rules are rules. Absolutely. (laughs) All right. So uh, we always talk about the Nike Oregon Project. Absolutely. The Alberto Salazar trained group. Mm -hmm. Uh, They had a killer weekend. 
Talk to me. All right. So we're going to start with the Monaco men's 1500 meter. Yes. So Diamond League was in Monaco uh, this past weekend. In London. And and in London, yeah. I caught all of about 10 minutes of this, but uh, give me the details. So in the men's 1500, uh, Matthew Centrowitz. Uh, ran his third fastest 1500 of all time. Okay. He went 331. All right, so Centro might be back. Yes. Which and is a story we've been talking about for a couple months now. Now, the only downside of this is he was like eighth in the race. Yeah, so but he's it was never super been spicy. a time trialer guy. Yeah. So, but what's even more impressive is two days later at London, he took the win in the men's 1500. Okay. And a 335. All right. So Centra. showing that championship style rounds yeah. that made him an Olympic champion. Yeah. Um, Good also, to hear. Also on the Nike Oregon project, Clayton Murphy. Our guy, Clayton Murphy. Who, who finished second in the men's 800 in London, running <laughs> 143.1. Ooh, Okay. Which, this is a different man than indoors when he was running 150. Started to break through a little bit at U.S. Champs. Mm -hmm. Ran a decent mile at Bowerman. uh, Bowerman Mile Prefontaine Classic. But that's a nice little jump for him. There have been a lot of questions about did he make a a good decision switching over to Nike Oregon Project. And that result would suggest that the pride of New Madison Tri-Village, Ohio, might be back on his A-game. Yeah. And then, for the same program on the women's side, mm-hmm. we had Safan Hassan yeah. in the women's mile, running new national record uh, for the Netherlands in 4.14. Ooh, the Dutch is, dart. This is the fourth fastest women's mile of all time. Whew. And this is a week after she ran 14.25. Oh, mommy, mommy. Talk about a year. Yeah, how about month. that? Good stuff from uh, NOP. Yes. All right, what's next on the list? Uh, Jacob Ingerbringston. Yes. Our heralded 17-year-old from Norway. He was in that men's 1500 Mm -hmm. at Monaco, who was our fourth place finisher Uh and ran 3.31 flat. Uh, For those who don't know the metric distance of 1500 meters, that would equate to about a 3.48 or 3.49 mile. From a 17-year-old. Yes. One second ahead of him was his older brother, Philippe, who set a new national record of 330 flat. And their older brother, Henrik, is now the slowest, and he was a fifth-place finisher at the 2012 Olympics. Wowzers. Uh, I'm going to have to check out the replay of Monaco. That sounds like a heck of a meet. Yes, and Jacob had the fastest last 400 of anyone on the track. He went from dead last to fourth and closed in 54 point. Okay, that's pretty solid. It was amazing. So sticking with our Diamond League fun. Keep counting them down. As I mentioned, Clayton Murphy getting second in London. The story in London was the winner, Emmanuel Career. Yeah, uh, he went 142.05, oh. which is the fastest 800 ran since the 2012 Olympic Games. That's what I was going to say, right there in London. The last time we talked about Mr. Career was pre-classic, getting tripped up with 200 to go and coming back for the win. What was the number on that again? 142.05. Oh, man. That's fantastic. And he was neck and neck with the other guys with 100 meters to go and put a full second on them. Went to another gear. It was amazing. Okay. So my sixth point. Yes. 
the Bowerman Track Club women were on fire. Yeah, Bowerman babes. We saw an American record from Courtney Frerichs in the steeplechase at Monaco. This is one I actually knew about. I didn't see. I, I only saw like the last lap of the race because there was a world record in the race itself, right? Well, you stole my next one. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. Nope, you're good. Just, <laughs> if you want to keep talking. That's really all I know about this race. Okay. Yeah. So beating the American record holder, uh, Emma Coburn, in the race. Yeah, so Emma Coburn's in the race, gets beaten by Courtney Frerichs. That's been the one-two punch of Americans here lately, but in the opposite order, with Emma consistently being the strongest and having won a world championship. Uh, Emma didn't have a bad race. She ran her fastest time of the year going 9.05. Okay. So Courtney beat her in good shape. There's no excuses. How did the race play out? Because we know there's—I spoiled it, obviously, for you. Yes. There's a world record up front. That pace— did that affect Emma Coburn more? She actually went out pretty conservatively. Okay. She went straight to the back of the pack. Yeah. Where Frerichs actually mixed it up up front. Okay, so she tried kind to... Kind of unlike her. It is. So she tried to just hang on to that quicker pace a little more. Yes. And then the next day in Houston, mm-hmm. Shelby Houlihan, mm. Frerichs' teammate, was paced by Shalane Flanagan in the women's 5,000 to break her American record... And run 14 minutes and 34 seconds. Ay, 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 ay. She closed that race with a 60-second final lap. All right, so I heard that Shelby broke the American record. I didn't know any details there, as you gave them. I don't know if there is a runner I like more right now than Shelby Houlihan. And we saw her you know, at the beginning of the season. Jenny Simpson got out so hot at the beginning of the year. And ran a great two-mile in Des Moines. And we talked about would she, in an off year, try to make an attempt at a 5K record. Instead, it's Shelby Houlihan, who once upon a time was really an 800-1500 runner back in college. Her willingness to try something new, experiment, and she's still a fantastic 1500-meter runner, and that might still be the best spot for her. But her willingness to trust Coach Jerry at Bowerman Track Club, experiment with something new, and now an American record at 5,000 meters and closing it in 60 seconds on a 1424, you said? 34. Okay, okay. I was going to say, woo, 1434. That's still really spicy. Also from that race, we had the addition of Vanessa Frazier, mm-hmm. who just graduated from Stanford. Yeah. Set a PB in that race. She went 15 minutes and nine seconds. And then Carissa Schweitzer from Missouri, yeah. multiple-time NCAA champion, set a PB in the race as well, running 15.02. Now, here is my one worry. I hope we still get to see this level of performance, and I hope we just get a continued growth out of Shelby Houlihan into a world championship season yes. and into an Olympic year because she has exploded this season and it and it's not as if she just came onto the scene she she was strong um qualified you know at world indoors didn't really run as well as she had probably hoped i think she was fourth in the 1500 yeah that sounds right like fifth or sixth in the 3000 and i hope we're not seeing the peak of shelby houlihan and i i think that with her just the wheels that she has, all right? She can scoot. We've known it's that unreal. for a long time, yes. right? But the strength that goes with that, 
I hope that's just continuing to build because she really could become an American icon at world championships and Olympic distances. Uh, so, I, you know, it's an off year right now. We're not seeing the biggest competitions, but her development has been special. And she's got a great personality. She's super positive. And um, she kind of breaks that stigma for young girls, too, that you have to be this toothpick runner. Absolutely. That is the next thing I was going to add. Her outlook on running and life and health brings together, in my opinion, all the good things about our sport and all the reasons that I love to do it as well. Um, The reason I had heard about Shelby's uh, American record, all I knew about it was I got a text that told me she broke the record and she celebrated it with chocolate mousse. And I thought (laughs) there is nothing more me and a runner. That seems like exactly what I would do after a good performance. But that balance that she has, this kind of running, life, health balance that makes her one of the most positive role models that we have in sport right now. Yes, and if you want to know more about Shelby Houlihan, I recommend listening to the Price of the Mile uh, podcast. Her teammate Woody Kincaid interviews her, and it's a super fun, lighthearted podcast. I definitely recommend checking it out. You'll learn about her love for Harry Potter, how she wanted to be on the boys' team because she thought they were more fun. It's it's great. Awesome. So I'm assuming then the last story that I is broke the one here you hijacked. Yes. is that we have a new world record in the steeplechase. Do you want to talk about it a little bit? Yes. So the former world record was 8 minutes and 52 seconds. It was shattered by 8 seconds. Beatrice Kipkoic ran 8.44. I flipped this on for the last lap. I spent most of my bedridden hiatus watching other sports. I was in the Tour de France every morning, checking out all the stages there, which was a lot of fun. Caught all the World Cup action. My French team, which I selected in our fantasy draft a few weeks ago, got the win. And then watching the Tour reiterated to me how much I do want to go there to run, just how beautiful uh, the landscape is there. So I, I somewhat intentionally stayed away from running action on TV just to kind of get away and recharge and all that kind of stuff. But I flipped on uh, some of Monaco and caught the last lap of that 3K steeple world record. And the way Kipkoic looked in the last lap, she was under control, Mm -hmm. she looked smooth, and she was crushing the world record by eight seconds. Yeah, it was kind of astonishing to see her so smooth, but also it makes a ton of sense in that event that her being so mechanically efficient is what propelled her to that. Because women's steeplechase is still a relatively new sport, Mm -hmm. and so her looking as smooth as she did, being efficient, that's just shaving seconds every lap. It'd be really interesting to see, we had Americans 1-2 at the World Championships last year with Emma Coburn and Courtney Frerichs how they stack up against Kipkoic going forward. Uh, and Frerix was second in that race. Yeah. So if she's going to be outclassed, at least it was by a world record. Absolutely, yeah. So seven savory, savory stats. stats from the insatiable Ben Sessions. Oh, stop. You're now, super. let's transition off of that. Now, you've gotten an update on what's happened in 
running in July. Benjamin had his own race experience here in July. He tackled perhaps the Southeast's toughest road marathon at Grandfather Mountain uh, outside of Boone, North Carolina. And this is the debut marathon for Ben. That it was. And I want to hear a little bit about the experience because there's so much that every listener can connect to the first time, in particular, jumping to the marathon. That experience, we all go through a lot of physical and emotional moments in over the course of marathon training and then actual race day. And so we're going to get some of your feedback on that. But in particular, for Ben, taking a transition from being a track athlete in the collegiate system very recently and going to a road racing distance that he has never tackled before. Um, For me, you know, I've been at distance road racing for a number of years, and I have nothing on the track. That has long since left me, and in fact, it probably never was here. But to take a a guy who's used to turning over pretty quickly on the track and moving to 26.2 miles... Just tell us a little bit first about the experience and some of the highlights from Grandfather Mountain. Absolutely. I'm actually going to start a little bit with my background, like you were mentioning, being a collegiate athlete heading into this race. Uh, so this spring, I entered my final season at North Greenville University, um, ran indoor track for them. After that, I uh, got to a point where I wasn't happy doing the sport. Uh, it's just being in the ncaa system no matter what sport there's these expectations not necessarily from outside sources like your coach or your teammates but things you put on yourself and that translates to all running but it got to a point where i wasn't enjoying the sport and i think that's a pretty common theme you get from from runners having come through the collegiate system just the amount of mileage that you've put in over the past five years all the hard work you've put in there's a little bit of physical, mental burnout that I think is inevitable for a lot of people. Yes. So at the end of April, I decided to take a step back and kind of reevaluate things, figure out if I wanted to keep running or just kind of move on with life. So I actually took the months of May and June off from running, but I had already signed up for this marathon. And so this goes to the theme that we're going to get into next, which is you're taking a break. Um, How do you respond to that? In your case, um, knowing you as I do, I think mentally it was probably needed for you to go to the marathon. And I haven't heard about the marathon yet, so I'm super excited to get the details here. But to be able to go there and have a good experience, regardless of time, because I know your goal was not like, I'm I'm trying to shoot for a number here. You just wanted to run the distance at a challenging course. And go out and enjoy that. And I think without that break, mentally, you would not have been able to do that. It would have been too much pressure on me. Yeah. I would have gone out and blown up. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the weekend. I am fortunate enough to have some friends that live here in Greenville that used to run for the Appalachian State track and cross-country team. And so, they actually had a reunion for one of their buddies' bachelor parties. Okay. And part of this was that everyone was going to run the marathon. So, I ended up staying in a house with these guys that we had rented for a weekend. Um, so it was about 15 guys on air mattresses on a living room floor. That's like a regular Tuesday for me. <laughs> yeah. So the night before, I got about two hours of sleep. Yeah, there's no atmosphere that says pre-race prep for your first marathon like a bachelor party. Gosh, it, yeah. So 
I laid in the living room while they all were having fun, but it was hard to fall asleep. But anyways, the race goes off and I had the mentality I wanted to run it right under four hours. I thought that was reasonable with the limited running I had done. I think I had done about five runs in two months. Which, to give people an idea, that's an easy pace for you. That is more about just finishing the distance. Right. Yeah. Um, So we actually start with a lap on the track. Mm -hmm. And I went out and ran it in two minutes. And I was like, this is eight flat pace. This is wonderful. Today is going to be great. Let's cruise. But I looked behind me and I didn't see anybody from the (laughs) night before. So I was a little worried. Um, But then I was like, forget them. I can't control them. So I just ran my own thing. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I'm running 730s. I was like, this is cool. About mile three, you start going uphill. And uh, I just started making jokes with everybody I was running with. I was like, uh, are we almost to the top? Like, this is kind of hard. And the elevation change on this is pretty significant. Yeah, you All gain right. a total of 3,600 feet yeah. throughout the race. Yeah. It was really cool. Uh, you had given me some advice, you and Dane Simmons, that when I go through aid stations to thank every volunteer, high-five them, uh, walk through it even, uh, just kind of makes you a little happier going through it because it's such a long, arduous race. Yeah, two, two points to that. One is there is actual journal studies about this. Um, even some you can look up uh, on Elliot Kipchoge, all right, and that look he has on his face late in a race. But they did scientific studies backing this. Just how much less inter- energy you're using to put a smile on your face as opposed to a frown. Uh, but the second point and why I think it's so important is just running with an attitude of gratitude because those people are sacrificing all day for everyone running that course for them to be out there and we couldn't do it without them and and I know both you and I have worked at races at aid stations and it is yeah. it's really a rewarding thing but imagine if those people weren't there for all of us who run and letting them know how much they mean I think is really important but it's also, it's to some degree, it becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy. When you smile and you're thankful and you're positive, you run that way, too. Absolutely. And my best races, and I know in this case it wasn't so much about racing for you, but even in the times when I've had my best races, uh, as far as actual time or place, I think that was a piece of it. Running that way and just appreciating the sport and appreciating people that are around you. Yeah, so um, in the early miles, I hung around like the 30s to 40s place-wise. Then I, uh, right at mile eight, it's a downhill portion, and I was passed by the lead woman. And I was like, oh, well, I can't let this happen. I'm a former collegiate athlete. <laughs> and uh, we ran a 553 mile down this hill. So you picked up a little bit of pace. Yeah, I probably paid for it later. Yeah. Um, but I actually got to run with her for the next eight miles and uh, talk to her. Uh, she went on to win the race. She ran an incredible 315 on that course. Awesome. Uh, she was from Alabama, finished second uh, the year before, and came back to get the title. So yeah. So that's really cool. Yeah. Just cruised with her for a while. Um, at mile 16, uh, it's a gravel road, and it's a 16% incline mm. for about a K. Mm. I should have walked this. <laughs> But she didn't walk it, so I was like, I'm not going to let her go. Yeah. So I start running it, and running is a loose term. Uh, we were probably going 10, 11-minute pace mm. up it, but I should have been walking. And I got to the top, and this 
old man puts his arm around me and he's like hobble jogging with me. He goes, Hey buddy, there's a girl in front of you. <laughs> you gotta catch her. <laughs> I was like, Oh, this guy's right. It's yeah. like, don't worry, old timer, I'll go for it. <laughs> like twenty steps later, my quads just started seizing. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I've gotten Charlie horses before, but I couldn't bend my legs. <laughs> so I was like straight leg running while trying to massage it out. Mm. And I was able to do that. Uh, I was going about three quarters of a mile, then having to massage them out. But I was never stopping. That was the main thing. Um, I actually befriended a cyclist earlier in the race who was just up there biking. Uh, he was asking me where I was from and Very all cool. this. A uh, guy named Dustin. Yeah. So shout out to Dustin. Dustin, my boy. Dusty Pipes. <laughs> Dusty Pipes. <laughs> uh, so he actually was checking on me throughout the race. He'd bike and just come to talk to me. So he saw me cramping. And he gave me a ton of fuel. He gave me three salt tablets, some Huma gel. Uh, nice. I did bring my own gels throughout the race, but he was still kind of sponsoring me. So surprisingly, I never got in a bad attitude about the cramping. Um, everyone talks about how you go through lows and highs yes, in a marathon absolutely. or an ultra race. So I just kept telling myself, hey, this is a low. The next corner, this could all be fine. Yeah, that's something that we touched on a little bit when we went through my experience at Boston, where the weather is just awful and you can't control it. And you have to just say, I'm going to fight through this moment that I'm in. It's eventually going to get better. And if I don't take that attitude, there's no chance it's getting better. So I'm just making it worse for myself. Not finishing never crossed my mind. Yeah, cool. I don't think if I hadn't taken that break... I would have that mentality. Mm, mm-hmm. um, at mile 18, I took what I thought was a cup of Gatorade from this old guy. Turned out to be pickle juice. Oh, yeah. The second I threw it back, I puked all my nutrition <laughs> and hydration up. And my back started cramping. My calves were cramping. My like biceps were cramping, yeah. which made no sense to me. But part of that is what your your body is doing after having run the distance that you did and yes. put out that effort. Pickle juice is kind of an old school uh, hydration method that I've seen. It, I don't think it would have bothered me if I had known what it was. Yeah, yeah. But it was just the taste as soon as it hit my stomach and I, I was like, whoa, this is foreign, get it out. And at that point, my friend Kyle from Greenville passed me. He saw me puking. <laughs> Uh, he went on to run 315 and okay. was 10th, so some nice. Greenville love there. Yeah. Uh, so the next, let's see, that's mile 18. The next eight miles were spent like massaging my calves and quads out and hobble jogging. Yeah. I wouldn't let myself walk really. But what was crazy to me is how many other people were in the exact same predicament I was. I probably saw 10 other guys cramping yeah. as hard as I was. What was the weather like? Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. Uh, it started the day at like 63, and I think it only got to 71 yeah. at the top. So you can't yeah, ask for a it's better It's nicer July up at that elevation it, to yeah. run in the summer as opposed to being down here. And it's yeah. not really humid up there at all. So with a mile to go, I knew at this point two guys from the bachelor party were in front of me. Uh, one was crushing it, Chris, who would go on to finish fourth, and mm-hmm. then Kyle from Greenville, who was 10th. Um, but there was a pack behind me. I didn't know how far back because I hadn't seen the guy since we were on the track. With a mile to go, I hear, hey, Ben. And Brian Graves, oh, who used to work here, upstate is waving alum, at me. Beloved friend of ours, Brian Graves. And all I can think to myself, hell no. You're not letting him catch you. There's no way. 
I was he running or was he on his recently purchased motorcycle? <laughs> he was running, surprisingly. But all I could think was, there's no way I'm gonna let you're him not letting me. that tan bombshell catch you. No. So I lock my straight legs, <laughs> and like that beautiful scene in Forrest Gump, I just took off running. Yep. Uh, sadly, my braces didn't fall off my legs. Uh, <laughs> uh, so anyway, that last mile, a lot of it's downhill. So I was able to roll, and I ended up running like a sub-seven mile. So finished it feeling pretty good Yeah, then. but you, uh, well, <laughs> you hit a cinder track at the Scottish Highland Games when mm-hmm. you finish. And so you can hear the bagpipes. All the people around the track are drunk at 10 a.m. It's amazing. They're going crazy for you. Well, from what I understood from the race director before the race is that you hit the track and you have 200 meters to the finish line. So I go around the first curve and I'm coming into what I think is the final straightaway. Keep in mind, I'm running as hard as I can this last mile. Sure. So everything I have is going into the last 200. I hit the straightaway and I go, oh my God, there's no finish line. It was a full lap on the track. Mm-hmm. I just started bawling. That's the kind of adversity you want after 26 God. miles. I just lost it. I was <laughs> crying. I didn't think I could make it the You're full You're an emotional lap. man to begin with. Yeah, but this was just... It was awesome that I could be taken to my knees like this. Running has never done this to me. Mm-hmm. And I was so I humbled have. by a mountain. And that's just mind-blowing to me that a mountain could do that to yeah. me. And so I hit the final straightaway. I'm blubbering. Uh, they're yelling at me to show my number, which is on my shorts, kind of crinkled up. So I just walked in it, walked it in. I could like see the clock and I wasn't going to get under a minute yeah. like difference yeah. if I sprinted. So I like straightened my shorts so he could see my number, waved at the people in the crowd and walked it in. Did you beat Graves? Oh yeah, by two minutes. Oh, so nice. it was worth it. Yeah. Uh, it was the most amazing decision of my life. Um, having gone through kind of a hard spell with running, I left that race and I had to sort of, not to sound too hippie, but I felt very full inside, um, kind of filled with love, if mm-hmm. not to sound too granola. But I saw a lot of the aid station workers after and high-fived them. Dustin, the cyclist, was there after the race. Dusty's back. And I ran up and like gave him a hug. He had stayed to watch me finish. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Um, it was an incredible experience. It yeah. was worth not being able to walk the rest of the day. Yeah, so. yeah. But I wouldn't trade it, and I'm looking forward to my next one. All right, so I'm going to get to that here in a second about what's next. But that that post-race euphoria is something that I've experienced, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners who have reached a goal, at, whether it's finishing a marathon or, or qualifying for Boston or setting a personal best, whatever it might be, that they understand what you're saying, uh, that that feeling of being complete and content that you can get after a race like that that uh, you can't find a lot of other places. And yeah. I'm going to rant for a second here uh, in a world where we are so accustomed to striving for instant gratification and what comes to us in the short term and just a, a general impatience as a society racing at that distance brings out a type of satisfaction that you cannot get from yeah. um, the instant gratification society it is one, for, for a lot of people, it's about the, the weeks and months of training that go into it, but also the mental and physical toll, and particularly in the race you ran, the, the physical, that uphill, downhill, particularly uphill, a lot of it yes. that you're going through is just beating your body up. 
Um, and that, that experience is, is so unique to the marathon or, or distances longer than that, which kind of leads me to my next question here, because I know that we introduced this as you as a, a, a track athlete in, in, your, in your past life, but I also know from our conversations that you've wanted to run something at this distance or perhaps longer yes. for a while. So, so what's coming up next for you? Yeah, so as I mentioned, uh, the only goal into this time-wise was four hours because mm-hmm. I thought my current fitness, that's what seemed reasonable. Actually, despite all the cramping and the things that went wrong, I went three hours and 35 minutes, which for that course, I will gladly take on the day. Oh, yeah, that course, the, the, the training that you had where your fitness <laughs> level was, <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah, but... I know my ceiling is a lot higher. Mm. And so right now I'm looking towards the Sphinx Marathon here in Greenville at the end of October. And uh, I wanna go all in on this. Um, if I'm gonna do another one, I wanna be disciplined, uh, do the right things. I wanna have fun, that's the main thing. Mm-hmm. My training's not gonna look like anything I've ever done. Not as structured. A lot of this is gonna be chasing that feeling I had after of that fullness and that mm-hmm. happiness. And I want to run something fast. Okay. Awesome. Yep. I'm looking forward to seeing that. It'll be fun to follow the training and to see what you do in October. And if you want to see all my raw emotions and maybe my errors in training, uh, if you go to runningtowin.com, my username is your mom's fave runner. That is running the number two win.com which is a great site uh to keep track of your training that you can log everything in and that's a great segue because you know we've been talking about you taking a break there and i was actually looking back at my training log of of previous breaks that i've taken uh because i have been out here i i had to take uh, over two weeks off i was um visiting my parents and had some great country runs. Uh, if you got to be on a road, there's not much better than endless country miles with nothing but farm fields around you. I had some great runs, and I was on a trail run with a friend, and everything turned south for me uh, as I took with me a poison ivy oak sumac, some sort of reaction, and then reactions to my medication after that that kept me unable to run for over two weeks and I'm considering that in the context of training for an October marathon and the time that I have to go so we thought based on our experiences we'd touch a little bit on when and how does one return to running from any kind of break and I think the first thing that you have to consider if you're a runner who we we all face a point where we're going to take a break for a lot of people it's because you get injured yes but what is the source of the break all right that that is a really key factor to consider in deciding what should i do next all right for you uh, a lot of it was mental some some burnout but also just you were at the end of a season and that's a natural point to take some kind of break but it became much longer than you normally would take after a season because of the mental aspect to it. Right. For for a lot of people, it's a physical injury. It could be job-related. You're busy. You just don't have as much time. Maybe it's just that you're someone who's getting off the couch again. You haven't run in years, and you're thinking about getting started. Maybe you've been sick. That was one that I looked back in my log. You know, in my preparation for... Uh, 
CIM last December in Sacramento. Uh, it was a race that um, I, I was sick in the final weeks, coming in through the taper and then on race day, and that had a huge impact on me. But I also looked back in my log, and three months earlier, I had to take about a week off from a sickness. I think I had gotten food poisoning or something and just couldn't come back. So if you're sick and bouncing back, a lot of it is um, you feel weak. You feel like you can't get out there and run. Yes. You know? Sometimes a, a mental break, you come back feeling really fresh and enthused, but you just don't have the fitness. You know, for me here, getting started up again, who knows what this is going to look like? I, I've had over two weeks off with uh, now 10, 11 weeks to go before the marathon. So I would never want to go into marathon training for something I think I'm going to run well on that number of weeks to prepare for it. So that leads us to the next step here where when you're coming back from a break, you really have to recalibrate your goals. You know, what is your training goal and then what is your race day goal look like? Okay, so for you, Ben, go back to that again of what you then decided is my approach to this race based on having taken a lot of time off. So I definitely want to be patient with my build. I know from experience I'm someone who is relatively fragile. Well, until I started working at Run-In, I got injured a lot (laughs) um, working here and getting in the right shoes and getting help that I've needed. Um, But a lot of it is being patient. I am someone who when he wants to do something, goes all in. Yeah, that's just your personality. So it's easy for me to want to start running 80, 90 miles a week Mm -hmm. where I'm not at that. Last week I ran 24. Mm. The week before that, 26 because I ran a marathon. Yeah. So it's definitely a lot of patience. Coming out of the NCAA system, I'm used to a lot of very structured workouts on the track, um, mile repeats, 400 meters. And for me, running that marathon reminded me just how much I love running. And I want to get rid of some of the structure to it. I still want to do things such as uh, fart licks and tempo runs, but not necessarily something where I'm hitting this exact number that means I can run an exact time. I want to feel this out, feel myself as a runner, understand my body more. And I think that's going to be a huge advantage over the 26 mile distance rather than chase a time, just chase my fitness. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I do want to eventually get up to the high miles. I'm looking for maybe three or four weeks of that. I know how I've responded in the past, that's enough for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, there's people who can do a lot longer at that level. I know you can sustain it much longer than I can, but I just know for myself, that's like the sweet spot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, I'm looking to gradually build into it, make it fun again and then get to that nice little sweet spot to get fit. Okay, so a few thoughts to that that we can carry out for everybody that I think are great points to come up from what you just mentioned. One is your comment on patience. And I think patience for every runner, regardless of if you've taken a break or not, is important, but it's particularly significant when you've taken time off. We get in a uh, mindset often of, I have to hit these certain workouts, that there's a silver bullet workout that I need to do as an indicator that says I'm ready to race. 
And, you know, I use for myself and for the athletes I coach, there are certain workouts that we will do that are really baseline indicators that we like to put into the training at certain phases that I think are valuable. But to that point of patience, no single workout determines your race success. It it is the product of consistency over time. And particularly at marathon distance, like we're talking about now, it's building for months and, and really years of your growth as an, an aerobic athlete. And so being patient and not putting too much pressure on thinking, oh, I have to do workout X four weeks out from my marathon to, to be ready to go. I, I think that's a really big point from what you just said there. Also to talk about that jump in mileage. What you took the break for is going to determine how quickly you can get back on your mileage factored together with what kind of athlete and what kind of mileage have you typically run. As you said, I have had more experience, more years of high mileage than you. Now, I built there slowly, but I can comfortably run extended number of weeks at pretty high mileage, and maybe I'll get a little worn out, but mentally, physically, overall, that's been successful for me. And as someone who is certainly not going to line up And when the gun goes off, be the fastest guy there with foot speed. You have to have other weapons that you can use. And a a huge base of aerobic strength is one of those that folks can use. But if you have taken time off because you're injured, let's say you've had a a lower leg injury, which is, of course, super common for, for runners, building up over time on your mileage maybe slower than me coming back off of some sort of poison ivy reaction. And once I get healthy, you can bounce back a little quicker. Uh, So the things to think about there are, one, how far can you run without any hiccups, you know, when you start to notice that you have pain? And then can you compare that to, oh, I went 10 minutes longer and felt the same as I did yesterday or the day before? That's a good sign. That's progress. I'd also say when you very first start again. My golden rule that I've always had to every athlete that I've worked with is when you think you're ready to run again, when you get to the point and you say, I am ready, my body and mind are ready to run today and to start my training again. I tell that person, great, now wait at least one more day. When you have been cleared and you know you're ready to run physically and you want to get out there and you're just so excited to get out and run, which is a place that I'm coming to now, great. Now wait at least one more day before you get out there because we tend to think ourselves a little farther along in the recovery than we really are. Because we're hopeful we are. Yeah. Yeah, you you want. I want to be out there so bad right now because I know I'm potentially costing myself time down the road at a marathon. But if I make the mistake of getting out there one, two, three days early, that might cost me one, two, or three weeks of training down the road. And, And so I think that's a huge point. And just one additional thing that I forgot to mention that I want to focus on, especially coming back after my hiatus with my injury history is really running takes a huge toll on your body and if you've been inactive and you're coming back into it running has a funny way of making different things hurt Mm -hmm. Um, i'm really going to be focusing on my core strength 
all the way from just like abs to my glutes and my hips because mm-hmm. um, I know my stabilizer muscles are weak. And it's so easy to like throw a hip out, just step incorrectly and be out for a week if you're not working on that. Mm-hmm. And so as especially right now that I'm not running a whole lot of miles, I'm really focusing on dialing that in to kind of prevent the injuries down the road and stay strong as I add stuff on. And those are the kind of things that, again, if you're taking a break or you're a new runner that you've just decided, I want to get started, I want to run a race, I want to be out there and run a 10K or a marathon, whatever it might be, those are important pieces to work in early in your training. Yeah, to you, make... you wouldn't ride a bike with flat tires. I have tried. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah, so you... Yeah, you want to do, like you said, core strength and stability and, and things that are going to help you stay healthy um, and make sure you don't overdo it. Make sure you don't jump up the mileage too quick, those kind of things. But th- that's also valuable when you're starting a new cycle, when, when you're, you've run a race and you've taken some downtime. This is a great time to work on some of those other variables that maybe you've left out. These 1%, like the, if you want to be great at running, you have to run. If you want to be a successful runner, that's the single most important variable, running. But those those 1%, like strength, like mental focus, you know, coming back from uh, emotionally stressful times in your life can be incredibly difficult as a runner. In my opinion, perhaps more difficult than coming back from physical injury. And handling those other things, like your emotions, your strength work, your injury prevention, your nutrition, all those pieces, those 1% add up and make big differences in both the health of your training and the performance on race day. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned nutrition. I ate like crud. There is no doubt that my single greatest critique of the Ben Sessions training plan over the entirety of our friendship has been the overconsumption of fast food. Yes. Uh, that and my soda intake. Oh. Which is, I'm lowballing it. I was maybe having eight sodas a day during this time. That's a significant amount of empty calories. Yes. So since this marathon. You've uh, bumped that up to a dozen. No, no, no. <laughs> actually quite the opposite. I haven't had a soda since, which is the longest time I can remember without going. Um, And uh, just to avoid eating the convenient fast food meals, I've chosen, just because I know it works for me, uh, to go vegetarian for my first two meals of the day. And that's not neglecting like proteins and things like that. I get creative with it. It's not just, I'm going to eat a carrot like you see so many people do on social media. Mm -hmm. And then I'm trying to limit it to fish and chicken when I'm actually eating meat. And so for you, that works because it keeps you away from some bad habits. Yes. And, 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 and that, those are great structures to create for yourself depending on what your self-discipline is like. You know, I am one who – I would never go to that option because – I love the carnivore side. Um, <laughs> that you do. And I think there is, uh, you know, I just want the iron and, and red meat and all those things. But I try to go to a, a pretty strict uh, sugar restriction as I get closer to a race. Gosh, for Boston, I can remember you in tears <laughs> wanting to eat a slice of chocolate cake. I do have uh, a bit of a sweet tooth. Got it from my mama. 
All of you is sweet. Not <laughs> and it is difficult for me, but I, I do try to create a structure that I then become even more disciplined on as I get closer to, to race day. And that thought also leads us to when you're coming back from a break, you have to remember what's important to you. We talked about recalibrating your goals. You talked about a change in diet. What is important to you, both in the training and in the racing, should help you determine what decisions you're making. Maybe there's sacrifices you're making, or maybe there's things you're adding in to what you do that you might not otherwise. Uh, for some people, it's maybe it's foam rolling, right? The, those few minutes after you run or before you run that you've left out historically that could help you down the road. Maybe it's I'm going to treat myself and go get a massage occasionally just to try to help myself stay loose. Or maybe it is I got to clean some things up and get rid of some things. Or I want to try some new workouts. Uh, you talked about workouts for your next um, segment being built around just an enjoyment and a certain feel about running. Now, for me, I made a change this past year where I've been successfully growing as a runner, and there's a lot of workouts that I like that I've kept in, but I've sprinkled in some other stuff with those that are really more uh, effort-based than time on the watch, and a lot more fartlek running with on-off cycles that I've manipulated at different paces and times, and I think for distance runners, there's a real value there in being able to change gears, to test your toughness, to know what that effort's like late in the race when I'm tired. Can I accelerate and change gears uh, and try to be able to close faster, Uh, particularly after like at your race and even to some degree at Boston after you've had some uphill or downhill uh, involved as well. So knowing what's important to you and you know and your goals shapes those changes you make. For me, I thought going into Boston as an example, I need to be able to challenge myself to come out of Heartbreak Hill fast. And so that was an important step for me on the way to running a successful race. So I made changes in what my workouts looked like accordingly. Now, when I am 11-ish weeks out from a race that I thought I was in certain PR shape for, now the early block of my training had gone really, really well. Oh, you were crushing workouts. So I felt like this could be a really positive race for me. Now I have to recalibrate and think about what's important to me, and maybe I can still run the best race I've ever run. It might not be quite as fast as it had been before. But also, I want to take it as an opportunity to use this to experiment with some few things here in the last weeks. You know, with 11 weeks out, I would normally be transitioning to more race-specific work in those last 8, 10 weeks, maybe. Uh, More marathon-specific stuff for me in particular. I'm going to try to use this as an opportunity to, one, get some mileage back up here, and then once I do, kind of go back into the block of training that I was already in before, a phase where it's just about getting as fit as I can, yes. and, and hopefully chasing fitness rather than chasing a time is ultimately the most positive direction that I can go, and frankly, I think for most people, it's good advice. Definitely. Definitely kind of sidetracking or backstepping yeah um like what you were talking about earlier with setting these new training goals and no matter where you're coming from like we've listed all these reasons you could have taken uh the break when coming back i think when you're making these new decisions you need to ask yourself why am i deciding to do this Mm -hmm. 
and it should have a positive impact. You should be able to answer that very quickly. And two, will it make me happy? We do what's the funnest sport, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. in the world, and it should be bringing you joy. And if your training is one that's wearing you down and you kind of dread doing it, you have to really take a step back and ask if you're doing the right things. Yes. Now, workouts will be hard and there will be tough days, but if at the end of the day you're not better for having done it or feel better for having done it, yeah, uh, there's really no point in what you're doing. Uh, I don't find value yeah, it's it's so true. I, I agree 100%. You know, I have always used a, a guiding principle for writing workouts of why are we doing what we're doing when we're doing it. Yes. And I think that expands to just your perspective on running as well. Why are you out there running? Is it's bigger than why am I doing mile repeats or a tempo run? It's what do you love about it? What are you chasing? What do you enjoy? What what does it bring you in fulfillment and wholeness in in your entire life? I really hope we're not creating any nihilists right now that are going <laughs> to question their meaning. <laughs> um, if you're going to, a long run is a great place to do that. Yes. There's a lot of time for reflection. And if you need someone to talk to on a long run, come see us. Uh, we would love to. Especially if you're slow right now. Oh, my God. Yes. That's all we can keep up with. Yes. The last thing on, on bouncing back from time off from running that I want to hit on here is think about the positives that come from taking a break. There are a lot of good things that come from taking a break that, that we might not see right away. You can get really down on yourself, especially if you're training for something. Running is a long-term endeavor, hopefully a lifelong one, but also getting really at your best level of distance running takes multiple training cycles. Yes. And don't get too short-sighted. Think about what that break might do for you in the long term. Uh, and this is something I've tried to keep in mind here. You know, I, I had a heel that was, it was a touch sore, nothing big. But after a couple of weeks off, I'm certainly not dealing with that anymore. And maybe in the long term, that makes me a better runner. Maybe that mental freshness, like you talked about, is something that we all need to be able to regroup. And sometimes we just get right back into that next training cycle and, and we're not ready for it. Uh, I love to train. I love the training cycle as much as race day. And I'm, I'm probably not in the majority with that, uh, but I love some of the hard workouts that come with the training cycle. But maybe I've gotten back into those too quick at times. So let's step back and say, what does this do for me now? As I look toward, I'm thinking about a half marathon in the winter. And then maybe it's Boston again next year or another marathon next year where you're targeting that this gives you the opportunity to be more successful because maybe your body was telling you it's time to take a little break. And we we slug through it and we get in this grind so often that is part of success, but you have to be able to balance it and know where I've taken a step too far and I need to just dial it back a little bit. It's funny you mentioned that body telling you like maybe that's the reason for the emotional because as you're saying that, I'm thinking about my last year and other than two weeks I ended up taking off at different times, I hadn't had a week under 50 miles a week 
since July until May. Yeah. And it's good to have that reset. Um, uh, when this past weekend, uh, this guy, Chris Moen, who ran for Zap Fitness, told me a quote I'm not going to forget. Everything in moderation, including moderation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's well said. You know, I think of the best recent example in professional running to me is Shalane Flanagan coming off an injury at a stage in her career where she thought, I don't know that I'll ever reach the pinnacle again. And she's got to take a significant amount of time off. And then what does that set her up for? Last fall, New York City Marathon, American champion, and just an amazing finish, right? Maybe she couldn't have gotten there if she had continued to push her body the way she had done a year earlier. Maybe she needed that time away. And maybe we all need a little bit of that time away at certain points to be as good as we can be. And that looks different. It doesn't mean you necessarily stop running, but it could Mm -hmm. mean you stop training per se. Mm -hmm. Um, That time away looks different for everybody. Yeah. All right. So it's been a fun discussion of... said a lot uh, of bouncing back from the time away from running Ben's experience at grandfather mountain, really exciting highlights from July in running. And the themes for tonight came up from some questions that we hear from folks. So please, uh, Feel free to contact us, secondsflatpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your ideas for uh, show topics for the future. And we will be back soon. We look forward to talking to you more. Everybody have a great week.